But for those of us who are online, especially for people who are extremely online, it really does behoove you to, before you pass along a piece of misinformation, when you hear something, check it out, verify it. What makes rumors so dangerous is that rumors confirm our existing prejudices. Rumors actually fit because, again, the, the thing about a rumor is a rumor doesn't, isn't really true or not true. Someone who tells a lie knows it's a lie. They understand there's something called truth, and they decide to break that. A rumor is different because when you pass along a rumor, you don't know if it's true or not. This is an, it's an I heard. It's a lot of people are out there saying and it's, hey, I heard this, maybe this is true, and you sort of put that out instead of determining whether it is or isn't true, which means you don't, a rumor monger doesn't care about the truth. If you do care about the truth, you can make an effort to resist passing along something shocking that you find online, that you just choose to, to share with everyone. You can check these things out, and a reasonable amount of care can really go a long way. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. I'm excited to be able to share this episode with you. Before we do so, I just want to say thank you to everyone who listens to any and all episodes of The Cultural Hall. It means a lot to me. I have a lot of great uh, goals, resolutions, things that I want to accomplish with The Cultural Hall in 2022. And so it means a lot that you would come in week in and week out to listen to these great episodes, to those that write reviews, to those who share them on social media, to those that are part of The Cultural Hall Back Row. Maybe you follow us on uh, Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter or all three, or maybe you're a Patreon saint. It seriously means so much that you would come to this show week in and week out. And so thank you. That's it. Let's get to this episode. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and I'm excited to be joined by Adam Jortner. Now, before we go any further, Adam and I, before we were chatting uh, today, in fact, this recording that you're listening to, uh, he said, you know what, I know that not everyone that listens to this episode is going to buy the book, so I'm going to turn that on its head a little bit, and if you continue to listen past this point, you have to go to the show notes, and you have to buy uh, the book that he has written. So choose at your leisure if you're going to continue on, but the book is called No Place for Saints. You can find a link in the show notes. If you're not going to buy the... No, I'm teasing. Adam, welcome for... Thank you for joining. Thanks. Uh, uh, thanks for having me. And, and, you know, why stop at buying one copy? Yeah. It makes a great gift. <laughs> Uh, buy a bundle, and he'll sign them if you buy more than 25. Uh, it doesn't come out till February, and I don't want this to sound like a, a ginormous infomercial for the book, but when I was approached uh, by the folks over at Hopkins Press about No Place for Saints, Mobs and Mormons in Jacksonian America— Everyone knows that I love a good history lesson. I love a good discussion of uh, the Mormon church and history. And I thought, boy, this will be an early Christmas gift to myself. So I appreciate you being willing to take some time in the busy holidays to sit down and talk about Jacksonian America. And I think we start maybe there. It's probably pretty self-explanatory, but if we don't know what Jacksonian America is, what is that? The age Jackson is uh, America under Andrew Jackson, uh, who's you know president from 1829 to 1837, but it, it also sort of the years just before and, and just after. And it's a time period that we uh, we know because it's sort of a, a great age of democracy. Um, uh, restrictions on voting for white men mostly go away, so you have universal white male suffrage. But it's also this age of great 
violence. There's uh, a, a lot of chaos, and you have rioting, and you have mobs, and you have uh, ethnic cleansing. You have Indian removal in this period, and it is both an era that is that is celebrated because you know we're a democracy and and we we love the idea that the voice of the people is going to lead the nation and it's it's an an era that's also really frightening because the idea of law and order uh, sort of breaks down over large sections of the country and 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 in many ways might makes right mm. uh, so it's it is uh, sort of uh, fearsome and beautiful all at all at the same time you know and as a member of the church as I look at that timeline I also think well this is essentially the life of uh, of the prophet Joseph Smith and and as we sort of um, mythologize, you know, that time, we think the, that the members of the church, the Latter-day Saints back then, were the only ones that were having mobs against them, right? I don't know why we think that. Maybe it's because we're not terribly familiar with U.S. history, but but we think, oh, you know, we were the persecuted ones. We think that, that this is a particular time where these things had to happen in order for the church to rise out above it. So it's, it's peculiar that that coincides with you know, male uh, voting suffrage and, and uh, these sort of mobs and, and violence, you know, with the origination and, uh, of the church. Yeah, and don't get that. You're not wrong. Mormons are persecuted. I can definitely, having studied this, that is definitely a true statement. But I think we do have in, I think Americans have an idea that, uh, we, we have an idea that history goes right from the revolution to the Civil War. Uh, I think some Americans have, have an idea that there was sort of uh, – uh, there was the life of Christ, the revolution, World War II, and then now. That's our history <laughs> lesson. With, um, with, a, with a brief stop in the 60s when people wore peace signs and flowers, right? Like there's, that's yeah, yeah, right, yeah, because yeah. everyone in the 60s definitely wore peace signs uh, uh, and flowers. Um, uh, someone says, you know, when the, the 60s really took place from 1968 to 1974, it's when the Beatles have long hair. So that's a shorthand <laughs> for when, when, when you think of, quote, unquote, the 60s. Yeah. But what I, what I want to talk about is, you know, not to be sort of, uh, sort of flippant about it. There is an idea, I think, among a lot of Americans and even, you know, uh, among historians and, uh, um, you know, that once the revolution is over, Everything is great. Maybe, maybe once the Constitution happens, then everything is is great, and there is this mythical golden age. Um, and folks uh, will sometimes think, well, that is when America, you know, got itself together, and there suddenly weren't any problems. And people also think, and that's when everybody went to church. That there was somehow one sort of vague Protestant church. That everybody was a was a member of, and you know we sort of mythologize that um, for a lot of reasons. One is that it is kind of a dark age of American history because a lot of the stuff that got written, there was a lot of mobility, a lot of stuff gets written down and then destroyed. Uh, the paper that they're using uh, wasn't uh, uh, it's sort of uh, made out of rags and it disintegrates. We don't have as much information about this era as we'd like, but there's also this idea that once the revolution is ended. The Constitution comes in, and everything is is fine until the Civil War, and that's not the case. Um, you know, Americans are really at each other's throats <laughs> for uh, if if the musical Hamilton has taught us anything, it's that Americans are sort of fighting with one another, um, and there there are problems throughout this era, and religiously, 
there is a widespread sort of shattering of the institutional churches. Once the revolution ends, the institutional church goes away, which is to say in almost every state, uh, they get rid of their state church. Uh, in almost every state, they get rid of religious qualifications for voting. Uh, a lot, most states have a religious qualification. You have to be a Christian or you have to be a Protestant in 1776. Hmm. By 1800, most of those have gone away. So, and you, of course, have you have the First Amendment. And so what happens? People start to do things they couldn't do before. Again, if you experience a miracle in the year 1750 and you decide to start your own church, well, there's a big problem because you've got to get the Anglicans or the Congregationalists or whoever is your state church to sign on to that, or else you're breaking the law. Hmm. But in 1815 or... 1830, if you say, this miracle happened to me and to these other people, and you want to found your own church, you go right ahead and do it. And, you know, for for Latter-day Saints, of course, that's an amazing truth. And for other Americans who created, did the same thing, they also created new churches that were also very, uh, shall we say, controversial, Mm -hmm. and that also inspired acts of violence against them, and they didn't make it. But for the people who are in the standard issue, Presbyterians, Congregationalists, Baptists, etc., these churches are dangerous. These churches are a problem. They are afraid of these new religions. And it is not just the Mormons. It's a whole slew of new sects, new denominations, new ways of thinking about the gospel. And that sort of shattering of, of from a, a world where you have the established denominations sort of setting out, here is what Christianity is, here is what you believe, they're supported by the state, and, and you know they all work together, and they sort of keep dissident voices quiet to a place where dissident voices are well up from below, and whoever is going to talk the loudest is going to get the most attention. And that is the world into which uh, Joseph Smith and the Latter-day Saints uh, enter. Um, so they don't, uh, you know, the Mormon message, uh, it, it, of course, it's unique, mm-hmm. but it's not alone. You know what? I, uh, I appreciate that perspective. Just to interject, uh, you know, real quick into this, because I think that with how, um, you know, members of the church are sort of sort of told the narrative, right? Joseph Smith went to these other churches, these things that had been long um, existent, right? The Methodist Church and, you know, um, these other congregations to try and find the truth. And then as the story goes that he, he then, you know, was told to join none of them. Then he prays, he's able to see God, the father and Jesus Christ and starts this thing. Right. And we sort of, we sort of tout this as like, you know, a, a, a trailblazer, a pathfinder that Joseph Smith was, which he was, I'm not downplaying that, but there were, as you point out, and I think it's important to sort of contextualize, there were other folks who were doing this. Yeah, I mean, in in many ways, it's the concatenation of voices that the young Joseph Smith finds so disconcerting, and that other saints, not all, but a lot of other saints who convert also find, you know, all of these different sects, uh, in the words of Smith, are giving testimony against one another. Mm -hmm. How can God be the author of such confusion? How can there be Methodists? and Universalists, and Nothingarians, and uh, uh, Shakers, these new denominations, new churches that had sprung up in the you know 20 years before uh, the Latter-day Saints come on the scene, 
it's it's that there are so many different voices contending what the Latter-day Saints are trying to do is is to try to create one church that is going to solve that crisis. Hmm. Uh, again, not that not that Joseph Smith sits down and you know says, "Oh, let me think about this." He has you know revelations, <laughs> um, but people are attracted to that because they they feel that the presence of all these different sects is a nuisance or maybe something worse. And when we've had the opportunity to sort of talk uh, about this point in history, especially when we talk about. Um its impact on um, politi- the political landscape, you know, having the church and, and, and intersecting within local and state governments, that's where some of the violence with the mobs, etc., comes from. Not that it was just Joseph claimed to be a prophet and have seen God, and, and so they were to come after him. Right. A lot of, I mean, the, the violence that the Mormons experience in the 1830s has um, antecedents. Um, in that, uh, you know, sort of throughout the first several decades of the 19th century, there are mobs against the Shakers. The Shakers are a, a celibate sect of Christians um, who believe that uh, Anne Lee, uh, a woman of the 1770s, is the second coming of God, hmm. uh, and they live together in these utopian communities, and people mob them. Uh, Why? They, Why? They, will, they mar- Yeah. Uh, and, you know, let's also be clear— in the War of 1812, known as the war no one knows anything about, um, <laughs> there are actually two theaters of war where American armies face off against Native American prophets. The prophet Tenskwatawa is in uh, Indiana, and that's where you get the Battle of Tippecanoe. The Americans fight the prophet in part because he stands against American expansion, but in part because they say, well, he's preaching a false religion mm. that's going to get the Indians riled up. In other words, the white government says it is wrong for an Indian to tell other Indians that God doesn't want to keep their land. Tenskwatawa is doing that in Indiana, and the Red Stick Prophets are doing it uh, uh, where I live here in Alabama. Those are both theaters of war in, in 1812. There's a religious dimension to the War of 1812 that, that everyone's forgotten because the War of 1812 is um, not stressed, perhaps we should say. And, you know, well, I mean, it only having, took. If you're having trouble with nothing happened between the Revolution and the Civil War, the War of 1812 is, is hard to get people to sort of get excited about. Well, I mean, it only took hap- it only took place in a year, right? I mean, it was just 1812. <laughs> it wasn't the War of 1812 through 1813 and 14. I mean, it, it minuscule as far as Canada, because that would be humiliating. <laughs> um, that's why it was a, it was a it was definitely a tie. I uh, am captivated by sort of where we have meandered as far as this conversation goes to say that, uh, first of all, that the the Mormons weren't the only ones, that second of all, uh, there was this attempt to sort of quelch anything that was sort of out of the norm, this thing that America sort of hangs its hats on, hat on saying, no, welcome everyone who's out of the norm. Oh, except for you and you and you and these people and those folks over there, like, let, let's all be normal except our kind of normal. Right. There's a real, uh, uh, I describe it as uh, in the 18 teens, 20s, 30s, there's a real, something that I might call anti-supernatural bent. Uh, And, you know, I don't want to say this is secretly the most driving issue throughout all of American politics, but the politics of that era very much have an undercurrent of anyone who, it's a fear of Prophets, and it's a fear of the supernatural. The idea being, 
if you have freedom of religion, anyone who sees a miracle is definitely lying about it. There's sort of that predilection to say miracles are not true. And, it, of course, it isn't everyone who says this, but there is definitely um, – a number of political leaders, a number of – a lot of books get written about this. There's a conversation being had which says any belief in the, in the supernatural acting in the world you know, right now today is superstition. What is superstition? It leads to witchcraft. It leads to tyranny. So that Ann Lee, Tenskwatawa, Joseph Smith Jr., Jemima Wilkinson, all of these folks are all sort of – tagged with the same label, which is you are credulous. You are not just wrong. You are deliberately taking advantage of people. And therefore, this is not just an issue of religious freedom. It's an issue of political power. In other words, one of the things that happens and that these sects have to deal with is the accusation that you're not really a religion. You're really a secret threat to the state. And I, I think just about every Mormon in America today has heard some – we still have some variation of this, you know, sort of swirling around. Um, uh, certainly American Muslims are well aware of this. Your religion isn't really a religion. It's really a political ploy, and therefore you don't get the same protections that everybody else gets. Hmm. Again, I don't want to say it's the Mormons. The Mormons are not alone in this. Uh, there are plenty of people making you know, pleas for um, their safety, their rights. But more of the non-Mormons are starting, uh, as the 1830s go along, more and more non-Mormons begin to buy into this rumor, of this idea that this religion isn't really a religion, and therefore forget their rights because they're, they're a threat. Hmm. Uh, and one, of the, one of the great moments in American history, history of American, uh, I'm not quite sure what you would say, but, you know, Lyman Beecher, the great anti, you know, anti-slavery preacher also says that the Catholic Church is treason, that it is treason to allow a Catholic Church to, um, to operate in Massachusetts because Catholicism is not really a religion. It's a plot against America. Wow. Uh, I want to take a break real quick, uh, and when we sure. come back, we'll pick it back up with Adam Jortner. Uh, let's do that. Coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, friends. Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. As you know, there's been a huge video card shortage for computers. We have tons of NVIDIA and AMD video cards right now available with complete systems. Check us out right now at PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, if you are not yet a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall, I encourage you to do that. You have until the end of the year to save some money on it. Then it goes back to the regular price. It's patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. Uh, if you become a Patreon saint, you get to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group. Uh, it's where we have all sorts of tangential conversations about various things that come up in episodes or just things that we find from the Internet and go, this is interesting. I'll share it in the group. Uh, find it at patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. So, Adam, the book is called No Place for Saints. So now I want to drill this down a little bit more on just the Mormons in, uh, in specificity. Uh, we can say Mormons. I know that I just want to put to bed that we're going to not say 
say the full name of the church because, well, brevity. So we're going to say Mormons, and since it's in the history, they were called Mormons. Everyone, don't come at me. We're talking about the Mormons in the 1830s. No place, I, I'm assuming, to take it at face value, which is where we're like, Kirtland, nah, no, 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 let's go west. Nah, no, keep going. Ah, listen, we'll find a place. Just keep going until no one bothers us. Is that what you mean by no place? Uh, well, I originally wanted to call the book Curious Workmanship, but uh, that, that idea got vetoed um, because I, I, I think the book is sort of about the not just the saints being, a, and, you know, of course, the, the, the plates are of curious workmanship, but I also think you could sort of say that about the whole country was a place of curious. It's a different place than we think it was. And when I say no place for saints, I mean, uh, I, I'm thinking about the fact that there isn't really a place. They get kicked out of... Uh, I really focus on the expulsion from independence. That's the one that I spend the most time talking about. But starts in New York, kicked out. Ends up in Ohio, kicked out. In Missouri, kicked out two times. In Illinois, kicked out. Uh, and, and again, literally, they have to go uh, outside the country um, to, to, to find a place to settle and, and uh, you know, preach their religion. So there isn't a place for them in the U.S., but then there's double meaning because, again, it, it's no place for saints in, in, in America in the 1830s. These, you know, it's a time period that we sort of gloss over and we assume that everything was, was, was fine or everything was fine except for slavery, um, but that these are actually real people. There are real conflicts and there, you know, there isn't. It's not a golden age. Hmm. Um, we have to remember that you know history is a place where human beings also lived. I, I think it's worth reiterating something that you said because I think with our 21st century eyes, we don't uh, glean it as we just tell the narrative. And 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 several times within what we've been talking about, this comes to point. But the fact that that uh, Mormons had to leave the country, right? I mean, we know right. Utah now, obviously part of the United States, and so I think that we just are like, yeah, we had to come west to this state that was established and everything. <laughs> but but we had to flee a country and find solace in another place to be able to worship how we wanted. And I think that that is a message that I know several people uh, who I don't think recognize that or respect it when other people are trying to do the very same and say, oh, you know what, they should stay where they're at when we did that very thing. And, you know, I, I love the idea. I mean, you know, people, I'm sure, spoiler alert, I really like religious freedom. I think it is wonderful in and of itself. I think it's a great civic good. Okay, so I'm just, just putting that on the table. Mm -hmm. But I think, and I do, again, I want to stress, America has, in many ways, been a real beacon for religious freedom. But, anyway, again, having said that, we also need to be clear-eyed about our history, not so we can throw stones at uh, uh, previous generations, but so that we understand that religious freedom doesn't just happen. It has to be created. So, you know, America, again, look at all of the sects and all of the new religions that, that come forth in the Jacksonian period. You know, Shakerism, Universalism, Unitarianism, the Seventh-day Adventists, the Latter-day Saints. Uh, uh, this is also the, the time when Reform Judaism gets a foothold in the United States. So all kinds of interesting developments going on. Mm -hmm. And that is because of religious freedom. At the same time, 
many of the people who promote these ideas at one time or another face legal restrictions or mob action. Because the goal of studying religious freedom isn't to pat ourselves on the back and say, good job. A lot of people want to study American history so we can pat ourselves on the back. It is to say, what are the good things that happened? How did they happen? What are the bad things that happened? How did they happen? And how can we maintain, if, if religious freedom is good, how do we maintain it? But what caused these things, not just sort of the, the, the rise of the Latter-day Saints, but why the response that happened? Why, why are the saints continually kicked out? Uh, again, spoiler alert, it was not their fault. <laughs> um, there's sort of an undercurrent sometimes when historians talk about saints getting kicked out of place. Well, they brought it on themselves. I, I don't think that's true. You don't think that there's any individual responsibility? Like I think of uh, Kirtland in specific, where they had the Kirtland Bank Society, and and you know for for large measure, some of the the reason that they had to leave was just because this thing went completely bankrupt, and they had to to go somewhere else where they could start anew. Or you know in Nauvoo with uniting the the church and telling people to vote a specific way like that there is some onus on those individuals at that time that you know maybe they didn't cause other people to mob them or attack them but they they certainly stirred the pot if nothing more than that right and i think you hit on the i think you hit exactly on it which is they may not there are you know different saints that may not have behaved uh, and how shall we put this? A completely legal manner. Uh, right. Again, the the Kirtland anti-banking. So the Kirtland Bank is 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 a thing, but the way they are cast out does not follow the dictates. Didn't follow the dictates of the law. Mm. Um, and again, I don't want to sort of you know fall down and say you know oh the law is always great. Uh, sometimes laws are wrong, but the response in places like Kirtland and and Nauvoo. Um, tends to be an upwelling of popular violence instead of legally sanctioned measures. Hmm. And you're right. This is, this is certainly an, an, uh, also this is a gray area. But I, I often think we, we justify a riot by saying, well, they were probably provoked, um, as though to say someone who riots um, is, is justified if they're angry enough. Well, I mean, um, look no, look no further than what we're recently celebrating an anniversary of. Like, yeah, I don't know that I excuse that because they were probably, you know, b- brought to a boiling point and needed a place to vent. Like that, to me, it's interesting that through me and 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 my particular perspective, that I can see something like the church and think one way about it, and then think of January sixth and think an entirely different way about it. Right, and. Um... You know, when we think about January 6th, um, you know, we think about a group of people who are being, I mean, I didn't foresee that. I mean, I finished writing the book in 2020. I didn't foresee this happening. Mm -hmm. But what causes January 6th and what causes the riot against the Mormons in Missouri is not just that people are angry. It's not just that people are being uh, uh, that sort of uh, demagogues are urging people to it. It's rumors and unfounded rumors at that, which is one thing I wanted to do when I wrote this book is I wanted to try to write the history of the saints from the perspective of ordinary saints. And it's a, it only covers the first four or five years of the church. 
I wanted to sort of see, try and see if I could see what they saw. Um, and to do that, I read a lot of newspapers. <laughs> and the newspapers are printing stuff about the Saints that is just completely not true. And it is often couched in the language of rumor. Um, you know, Isaac McCoy, who's one of the guys who riles up the, the Gentiles in, in, in independence, you know, says, well, I've, I've heard rumors that the uh, Mormons are making alliances with the Indians. And he actually says, I, I, don't, I don't have any legal evidence of this fact, but I have to act on it. He's heard a rumor. He knows he doesn't have evidence, but he has to act on it anyway. And I think this is sort of – this is one of those things when we think about religious freedom and freedom generally um, that you know, rumors can be toxic. Uh, and you know, just as we have social media that spreads rumors at the speed of light, uh, folks in the 1830s had newspapers. They don't, they don't spread the rumors as fast. Mm -hmm. But you can follow the rumors from one newspaper to another newspaper to another newspaper. Um, they, don't, they don't have fact checkers in those days. <laughs> um, so <laughs> – I think that the the idea that the saints brought it on themselves, you know, again, I don't I don't like to excuse the behavior of any particular saint, but I do want to emphasize that the mobs that rise up against them, particularly in Missouri, are animated by the idea that Mormonism is wrong, Mormonism is a threat to democracy, and therefore it has to be the the, the regular laws don't apply. Um, we're gonna we're gonna kick them out. So, so then I want to uh, maybe juxtapose that back then to today, and we already talked about January 6th, but religious freedom is something that seems to be in the paper all of the time, right? Is religious freedom under attack now? Certainly within uh, the mainstream Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints now, you know, one of the apostles who will eventually, because of his age, etc., become the prophet, speaks ad nauseum about uh, religious freedom and about how, you know, it's under attack. We need to make sure and we'll protect it. H how, how is it possible that that could go away? Or what is the landscape now that religious freedom feels like how it would have felt that 180 years ago? I'll start off by saying that's a tough question. And okay. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what we have to, there, there are differences between now and then, but it, it is always useful to, to think about the, the parallels we have a, I think, in the 1830s, when uh, uh, Smith takes on the office of the prophet, when the church is founded, when people come really flooding into the Mormon church, then they have arguments with the with the church, and then some of them flood out. But uh, you know, this this time period, the struggle for religious freedom is very much about the kind of religion that people are. In other words, the, the issue is, well, if we, you can have freedom of religion, but if we decide we don't like it, mm -hmm. we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to cut it out. We're going to, uh, you, you, you can't have certain types of religious freedom. Certain religious freedoms are not just wrong. They are immoral and they are undemocratic. That, in other words, we have to police the kind of ideas that, that, that people have. I think that challenge still exists in the 21st century, that there are people who make the claims that certain religions are not really religions at all, um, and that they don't deserve any sort of protection. So they have to be – people who believe those things have to be, in some cases, exiled from the country – 
or they simply can't share into the general body politic. But I also think we have uh, in the 21st century a certain strain of um, what's been called Christian nationalism, which is a bit of a misnomer because it isn't uh, – again, there's, there's nothing in the New Testament about the United States of America. So it's, it's an interpretation of, of Christianity that says America must fulfill – America exists to fulfill God's purposes. And then you, you fill in the blank when people start talking about what are those purposes. Mm-hmm. And those – that is a different kind of challenge which says what America must do is – you know what God wants it to do, and then of course there, there, what, what often that view is often not taken very seriously, um, particularly for the, the question of well, what is it that God wants us to do? Because that's a pretty critical part of that. But um, a lot of people laugh it off, which is is I think not respectful and and uh, and not right. The difference between I think the relig- some of the religious freedom fights today and those in 1830 is. There are similarities um, because what what is happening with the Mormons is that they're not being allowed to worship. They're not being allowed to to preach. People will come and break up their baptisms, or you know, as happens in Missouri in 1833, people will just come and uh, uh, round them up and smash their buildings. That's still an issue. Uh, again, I think particularly for religious minorities. Um, uh, about sort of can can you build a mosque in this neighborhood? Uh, there aren't, I think, as many complaints about building um, Mormon temples in neighborhoods. But but uh, you know, again, 30 years ago there was a big brouhaha in Birmingham, Alabama, about whether or not you could you, you, they they could build a, an LDS temple there. Hmm. I, what, there. What was the issue there? Just that they it, it's the South and. And we believe differently than than other denominations in the South, or what was like the the, the clutch? Is, yeah. People don't want a people. The folks in that neighborhood didn't want a Mormon temple in their neighborhood. Hmm. There was a fear if you build this house of worship, and I understand that the temples are more than just a house of worship, but using shorthand, there is a fear that if you if you build it. Uh, they will come, <laughs> um, and I mean that is one of the. I mean that is one of the key points of religious freedom is if everybody's free to worship God as they best see fit, then they're going to build houses of worship, you know, where they can buy the land. If they buy the land, they get to build, and it's zoned for it. They get to build it, um, and you know that's uh, that's this is this is still still an issue. Um, uh, I think particularly, I think Muslims are on the front lines of this, yeah. but I also think Jews, Hindus, and Mormons uh, uh, are often sort of targeted as sort of as, as being sort of less than fully American. Um, that that they have the, their religions aren't real religions. However, I think there's an additional element uh, that that has come up in the last 10, 15 years, just in in the United States. Uh, and that is this idea that one's personal religious beliefs can supersede any given law, uh, which is to say sort of, well, if I disagree with – if one of the laws that I have to follow conflicts with my religion, then I can break that law, and there are no consequences for me. Mm-hmm. Um, where religion is in, – instead of I – mean, freedom of religion uh, uh, is being kind of used as a get-out-of-jail-free card there, um, uh, by which I mean – I'm not quite sure that these are both 
questions of freedom of religion, because freedom of religion is the right to practice what you believe uh, congruent with the laws of the state. In other words, you, you can't break a law. Um, and a, a great example there, the Pentecostals in the First World War, uh, both black and white Pentecostals are pacifists. Uh, they will not fight. And they go to they go to prison. And the head, the FBI investigates the head of the Church of God in Christ because he's a pacifist. But they are allowed, again, they're allowed to practice their religion. They're allowed to say, well, my interpretation of the New Testament is that I cannot join an army, full stop. But the, there's a legal penalty for that. Um, and I, I think similarly, uh, again, uh, there are some folks who have resigned their position um, because they will not give uh, marriage licenses to, to same-sex couples. Uh, again, that is a, a legal punishment, and maybe they shouldn't have to face it. You have to work that out legally and politically. Do, but those who say, I should be able to not recognize a gay marriage, and I should not have to pay, and you know, there should be no penalty for me because I believe it. I'm not sure that's really what we're talking about with, with religious freedom. Do the Mormons make it messy because within— um you know, the first book of Scripture in the Book of Mormon, it talks about how the the or an interpretation, I should say, is about how America is the promised land and, and that as long as people are righteous and this is where the church is going to be restored. And and so there is sort of this American nationalism that that I, I think maybe people ascribe themselves to and say, yeah, 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 sure. Laws of the land, you bet. But, you know, God's laws aren't man's laws. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what God wants. Do we make it messier? No, you guys make it great. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, um, Mormons aren't the only ones who say this. Um, it, it, again, that is not a a Mormon problem. Um, that is to say that 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 Mormons believe that America is a, a blessed land, a land of promise, God's you know, God's land. Because lots of people um, have that to say. And again, this is um, this is the challenge. Uh, because, of course, it is one thing to say that uh, God favors the United States, and it is quite another thing to say God favors the United States, and therefore we have to do this, that, and the other. Mm. Um, uh, and and that, that is something I, I think we need to pay greater attention to as, as a country. It's one thing to you know, have praise for God in, in the public square, and it's quite another thing to say the public square is itself dedicated to God, and I know what God wants, yeah. because that's the real that's the real that's the real chipperuno, right? <laughs> it, 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 in, in, in a political sense, to say we need to follow God's instructions. Well, the problem is, lots of different people think they have God's instructions, and they are not uh, together on this. And it is also, I mean, it, so again, I, I am not, uh, this is not at, at all meant as a critique of, of, uh, of that Mormon scripture, but it is to say that when we talk about America being God's country and America needing to fulfill God's purposes, that's talked about like we are talking about a vague sense of morality, and I'm, I'm into vague morality. That's not what underneath that is often a specific political program. 
to say, God wants us to do this, this, and this. Um, and that is something that, that needs to be uh, a, a little more, a little more talked about because it's, you know, again, I, I certainly think and this is from a, a historical as well as a pragmatic point of view. It's very easy to get people to, um, have respect when there is prayer. Well, it's relatively easy to get people to get respect for prayers, you know, in, in, in perhaps some kind of public forum, you know, before, let's say, a town hall meeting. Mm-hmm. But often that is uh, when, when that, that can then be expanded to, and we also need to uh, make sure that only Christians can get elected or that our foreign policy needs to fulfill God's purposes, whatever those may be. So I, 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 I think we need to be, to be clear about this. Religious freedom means you, have, you should have the ability to worship as you please, and if that violates the law of the land, then you will pay a particular consequence for it. Um, not that I get to say whatever my religion is is, uh, is right, and therefore I don't have to obey the laws of the land. In the 1830s, the Mormons are bending over backwards in Missouri to obey the law of the land, uh, and they are they are pushed off because people don't say no. You're preaching something that's false. You're not allowed to do that. If you do that, you can't live here. I want to take a quick break, uh, and when we come back in the third block, uh, I want to uh, I want to give people those kind of hmm, did you know sort of things. I'll explain what I mean by that, but we'll come back and do that in the third block of the cultural oh, hall. I want to take a brief moment and tell you about Best DJ in Utah. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Who is that me? It's also three other guys that I have hired to work for me. Why? Because business has been so great. Uh, We've been able to help a lot of couples as they've been celebrating their weddings, been able to do a lot of uh, holiday parties, uh, birthday parties, being able to just to do community events as well. We do travel, so I know you're thinking, well, listen, I live in Nevada. I live in Idaho. I've even gone so far as Louisiana. I've been down to Texas. I've been up to Washington. Uh, All of the places certainly is possible to be able to play music in. Obviously, you just need to get there. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Let's start the conversation about it. You're getting married. You're thinking about getting married. You'd like to get married. Whatever the thing may be, bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, if you have not yet become of the cult, uh, part of the Cultural Hall back row, it's free Facebook group, a couple hundred people strong, uh, just hanging out. It's like the Patreon group, but you don't have to pay to be there. Uh, more people means more discussion. You can check that out. It's the Cultural Hall back row. Find it wherever you Facebook. Adam, uh, one of the things that I 
I really love about studying history. I love getting into the richness of it, and I love being able to have discussions like we've had, uh, talking about you know the comparison of of yesteryear to today, and and there may be a couple other pickup questions that I want to ask about that. But one of the other things that I also love is those sort of statement of facts or those interesting things from history, where people, if they listen to this conversation, you know maybe they're gathered around for the holidays or you know they're in their their church meetings they can say well you know and then they can just sputter out a fact that is interesting and maybe a lot of people don't know i'm wondering if you could give us a couple of nuggets from this jacksonian era and how the church in- intersects with that maybe a couple huh i didn't know that sort of facts that that we can take yeah don't don't tell anyone but that's Primarily, why I became a historian uh, because it's all, all those sort of uh, all those the, the stories are just so good. Yeah, um, uh, it, it makes makes studying it just just delightful. So I think two things. One is that there are perpetual crises within Mormonism itself. Mormonism in these early years always has people breaking away, uh, uh, trying to receive their own revelations, challenging Joseph Smith. And most biographies of Smith and most stories of the early saints sort of interpret these things as, as problems, as, as crises. I, I think because they expect the early church to look just like the, the modern church, which has a, a leadership structure that's been honed over centuries. Um, but the early church is, is full of disagreements and, and people fighting and arguing because, of course, um, you know, they don't have those two centuries of tradition. Uh, and all churches have these kinds of arguments and disagreements, and, and, and the fact that they're able to sort of keep going uh, uh, despite the fact that they, they have fights is, is really remarkable. Mm-hmm. I think the other interesting thing to think about when we talk about the, the, the story of the early Mormons is that there are all these other preachers and prophets uh, uh, sort of rolling around, and that doesn't make what Joseph Smith has to say, not true. Uh, in other words, Mormons, I believe, can still have faith in, in uh, the teachings, the message, the mission of Joseph Smith, even though there are a bunch of other prophets doing the same thing, because it is not just the fact that Smith was a prophet, but what he had to say. And I think a lot of the story of Mormonism has, you know, in some sometimes been captured and used as an argument against religion generally, to say that, well, look at Smith. He is a prophet in this sea of other prophets, and there's Jemima Wilkinson, and there's Tenskwatawa, uh, and there's all these other prophets running around there. Therefore, none of them are true. And that doesn't follow. Um, the idea that Mormonism uh, is is false because other people have, have were doing something very similar uh, is not actually true at all. It's an interesting phenomenon, um, but I think there is there. I mean, this is a, a minor key. Maybe only historians worry about this, but there's an extent to sort of hold the Latter Day Saints up as an example of this is how all religions are, and since they emerged in the modern era we can make decisions about all religions because of them, and then to sort of nitpick. I I don't know that that's the right way to go about Mormon history, 
And I don't know, uh, again, as a historian, I'm not going in trying to prove the validity of the Mormon faith, and I'm also not trying to disprove it, because those are theological statements, and what I'm interested in is historical. I'm interested in how do people act in history, how does democracy work, uh, uh, how does democracy deal with problems of religious freedom and religious liberty, and those things are not dependent on the theology of the people involved. So Joseph Smith exorcises a demon. He says he exorcised the demon. I am going to write that that is what happened, and here's how people reacted. I don't have to determine whether that demon was really there or not. Faithful Mormons will say it will. Critics will say it will not. But whether it was or not, that doesn't change how non-Mormons react when they hear the news. And that's what I want to bring to the story of the saints, which is to say we don't have to, as historians, thinking about democracy, you don't have to worry about whether or not Joseph Smith was really a prophet of God. In a personal level, a Mormon will say, you definitely have to worry about that, and that's fine. But you know, his, theology, his theology isn't what I'm after. What I'm after is how did people respond? Why did they respond? What can we learn from that? Um, one of the most interesting things, okay, so, so probably the, the most interesting story uh, uh, that, that, that I came across, and, and some saints will know this, but, but some folks will not, is that uh, when Smith uh, unearths the plates and he is uh, you know, in, in the process of, of translating them, one of his former pals from Treasure Seeking by the name of Lawrence comes and sort of wants to go have these with him. Um, and they actually have a confrontation there in their, in their house in the, uh, uh, where you know, the Lawrence sort of says, well, we were treasure-seeking partners. Now you've dug up a gold Bible, so I should get half of it. Uh, and then Smith uh, you know, presumably has to uh, – uh, I mean, he finds a way out of it, but he, he presumably has to explain that it's not – it's not that kind. It's a different kind of treasure, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Lawrence, um, which I, I, I just think is, is, is fascinating. And it goes to the point that when Smith says he has unearthed a golden set of plates from, uh, uh, from underground, um, that he is not met with total blank incredulity. Um, that, again, there are a lot of Americans who just do not buy that story, but there are people for whom, uh, you know, regardless of whether uh, whether you are a Mormon or not, to simply acknowledge that the idea that there is treasure buried in the ground that has religious significance is not totally outside the mainstream uh, uh, for for early America. In, in fact, the idea of treasure digging as a kind of religious activity has roots that go all the way back to the Middle Ages, um, uh, that, that uh, there are, are, are Christian treasure hunts going on for centuries mm-hmm. uh, uh, before the Smith family sort of begins its, its odyssey. Um, so I that just, was probably... Sorry, so, go ahead. Yeah, so, so I just want to ask then, so you, you, this Lawrence guy comes to, the, to Joseph Smith and says, hey, you know what, we were halfsies, let's, let's go after it. Like, is it, is it a fighting alter, altercation, or what do we know about that, and where do we know about that from? I don't know that I'd ever heard that. Oh, okay. This is one of those times I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up so I can be sure. Yeah. <laughs> you cut this part out. We have this story from Joseph Knight. Uh, hmm. 
and uh, actually the, the the full account is in um, a 1976 copy of, of BYU Studies. It's, I mean, it's, it's, that's where it's most easily available. But Lawrence shows up, and he actually has brought on he's brought his own rodsman. You know, again, uh, uh, this this divining by by magical rod. So he Lawrence brings his own guy, and it's it's not clear what happened, but we know the rodsman was named Beeman. Um, and we also know that later there is a, uh, Mormon named Alvin Beeman. Uh, it's possible those two are the same guy and that Beeman actually ends up helping uh, Smith instead of Lawrence. Um, but it's not clear, but it is pretty clear that, uh, the Smith does then, um, begin a, in retrospect, hilarious sort of effort to keep the plates from, uh, all public eye is where he sort of has to put it in, uh, reading through all the documents, the lists of places where they are supposed to have hidden the plates is uh, is is manifold. Um, and of course, I heard that story first when I when I visited uh, Palmyra, the the site at Palmyra, and I thought, oh, I don't know if this sounds a little bit like a myth, but it's 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 backed up um, that you know he's moving, uh, he has a treasure that other people want. And he has to keep moving it around. Uh, I found that sort of idea really fascinating. Um, The other thing I think that was really interesting to me is how much magic there is floating around in the early United States. Uh, Magic isn't an idea that comes into America in the 60s. Uh, And uh, again, Smith is often derided then and now as you know, a treasure seeker, uh, as a magician, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know he's a, a necromancer. These are all accusations leveled at him and at the saints back then, as well as also today. But again, once you say there's going to be freedom of religion, people are going to say, oh, okay, and then you can't ban a book for being heretical. So what gets published in the early United States? Well, a lot of books about magic. Uh, A number of sort of esoteric volumes from Europe get reprinted in the United States. A horde of dream interpretation guides, some of which have actual spells for compelling love, get printed up. And this this is something that people are really interested in. Um, so the idea that, that Smith is sort of, um, I, I think he is described by one historian as being, you know, quote, way out there on the edge of the diving board, close quote. <laughs> That's not really true, um, which is not to say that Smith is, is, is any way sort of a typical thinker. He's not. But the idea that these esoteric ideas only belonged to Smith isn't true. Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners will be familiar with uh, a book written about 25 years ago that sort of said, you know what, Here's I, I, I can explain Mormonism. Joseph Smith was trying to recreate Hermeticism in the United States, and he ended up with Mormonism. Okay, but Smith isn't the only guy who's interested in Hermeticism or alchemy or magic. There are lots of guys out there who are interested in this stuff, and they don't become prophets of the Lord. Which is another way of saying, and, and you, you don't have to search. It's not that you have to search really hard or really far to find these things. Uh, you know, the Library Company of Philadelphia, the biggest library in Philly, uh, its number of magical or occult books, I think, triples from 1807 to 1837. Uh, that these books are, are out there. 
um, which is to say that you know to to the extent that Joseph Smith's story of uh, is has hermetic or magical elements, these were not outside the mainstream in in the 1830s. People are interested in magic; they're dabbling in magic. Um, and uh, they're 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 telling all sorts of of, of interesting stories. When, when we talk about the violence that occurred in the Jacksonian era, and we look at the cause of it, you mentioned sort of these rumors, these things that weren't tr- true, and then you illustrated, I think, pretty well what we experience today with the rumors, these conspiracies, these things that are out on social media, and as recently as just a year ago, uh, whether you align with it or not, you can recognize that it was a a moment of violence in our nation's capital. Are we? And this is obviously just speculation, but do you feel like we're headed toward a Jacksonian era of modern history? Well, I certainly hope not. Yeah, um, me too. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say this one thing. Here's something I dislike about our national conversation that we're heading having right now. It is perpetually focused on an indefinite future, and I, I'm gonna apologize for for getting on my soapbox a bit here, but also not really. We are always trying to say things like, are we headed for this, this, and this? And then, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's right wing or left wing, but you sort of put in something that is very extreme. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the problem with that is they could be right. And I do worry about those sort of extreme outcomes. But they phrase it like none of us can do anything about it. And I deny that. Here's the thing. If you don't want to see a level of Jacksonian era violence, then we need to get up and do something about it. And I have great news. Fighting rumor and misinformation is something you can do yourself. Uh, again, I would love to see um, I would love to see more uh, regulation uh, uh, over the giant social media companies where most of this stuff happens. I would love that. I can't do that on my own. But for those of us who are online, especially for people who are extremely online, it really does behoove you to, before you pass along a piece of misinformation, when you hear something, check it out, verify it. What makes rumors so dangerous is that rumors confirm our existing prejudices. Rumors actually fit because, again, the, the thing about a rumor is a rumor doesn't, isn't really true or not true. Someone who tells a lie knows it's a lie. They understand there's something called truth, and they don't care about it. Uh, sorry, they, they, they decide to break that. Mm-hmm. A rumor is different because when you pass along a rumor, you don't know if it's true or not. This is an, it's an I heard. It's a lot of people are out there saying. And it's, hey, I heard this. Maybe this is true. And you sort of put that out instead of determining whether it is or isn't true, which means you don't, a rumor monger doesn't care about the truth. If you do care about the truth, you can make an effort to resist passing along something shocking that you find online that you just choose to, to share with everyone. Um, you, you can check these things out. Um, and uh, a, a reasonable amount of care can really go a long way. Um, because, you know, the, the, the rumor mill is the rumor mill is in, is in high gear at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and if uh, so, I, I, I think the question is not: Are we headed for another era of political violence, Jacksonian democracy? 
The question is, do you, people listening to this podcast, do you want that to happen? And if you don't, this is a way to, to, to get at it and, and to stop it and to proceed with respect. Um, one of my very favorite students, uh, he and I are very different politically, but he is a, a marvelous student and a great thinker. And he just sort of asked me one day in class, he said, Dr. Jordan, do you really think every religion deserves respect? And I said, yes, I do. That doesn't mean you change what you think in order to be respectful, but it takes very little effort to have respect for someone else. It's not the same thing as agreement. And, you know, a little bit of respect goes a long way, even if, uh, as some people rightly say, well, they haven't done anything to deserve my respect. (laughs) Maybe they haven't. But, you know, respect is something that you can offer and usually doesn't cost you uh, uh, all that much. Go a long way. I'm not saying that that will not alter the course, might not alter the course of, of history, but it sure can't hurt. Adam, when you write uh, and study about um, Mormonism, do people assume things about your own personal faith? They sure do. Um, you know, it's 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 very interesting because I study Mormons and I study uh, Native American prophets and and I study Jews. I study I study religious minorities, and so whichever particular group I'm talking about, uh, uh, people uh, say, "Well, are are you a Mormon? Are are you Jewish?" Uh, uh, people have not yet asked me if I'm a shaker, um, <laughs> but that might. Hey, Adam, are you a like, shaker? I just want to be the I, first. You know, I just want to. I'm I'm not, but I respect the shaker interpretation of of the gospel. That's for all all of the four. Uh, or five remaining shakers uh, in the U.S. <laughs> um, you know they they do, and, and that is you know that's that's fine. Um, you know, um, my 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 great friend Julian Hader once said, you know, you you study the stuff you're interested in. <laughs> um, so most people who do uh, Mormonism are are Mormons mm-hmm. uh, or study Mormons, uh, but um, I do. But I I also find that. It's it's been a real. Uh, um, uh, I'll, I'll try to say this in the most Latter Day Saint way I can. It has been a real blessing for me mm-hmm. to study the early history of of the church, um, and I, I think I have found that um, I've been very fortunate to to be able to look at these documents from two hundred years ago. Um, I, I won't say that I've sort of brought brought new ideas to it. But I do see things in the story of the Latter-day Saints that I know have happened uh, that are sort of uh, problems that do come up. They don't just come up between the saints and the U.S. government or the saints and the Missourians. They are problems of religion and democracy, uh, which is, you know, as I said, it's a tough nut to crack. It's not just something that automatically happens. You got to work at it, if that makes sense. Uh, there, we our time with you has come to a close, and um, there is a question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, uh, and ask that you interpret it however you will to answer it. Uh, but the question is: is what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith. Um, that is a great. Question. <laughs> um, I'm not sure faith exists so that I can have a favorite part. Having said that. I'm, I, I think I am someone who, when I have the opportunity 
to listen, then I feel extremely fortunate and uh, listen to someone who is wise, you know, listen to, uh, you know, the outside world. Um, those are, are, are very precious moments. And, uh, as you can tell, I just spent you know, 30 minutes talking at y'all. Um, <laughs> it, it's listening is something that's, that's a challenge for me. Um, but I, I think, uh, I hope we all know that sort of when you are hearing something that is quiet, that is wise, then, and, and your whole attention is turned upon it, that is, um, that is, 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 is a precious moment. And I think it cuts to, to the, the great mystery of what it means to, to be a human being. Um, and uh, I try to pay great attention to, to those times. The name of the book is No Place for Saints, Mobs, and Mormons in Jacksonian America. Adam Jortner has been our guest. You can find a link to uh, to do the pre-sale because it doesn't come out till February. That's right. We scooped it here in the cultural hall. No Place for Saints. Find that link. Make sure you pre-order it. Remember, if you got to this point, you made the contract. You listened to the whole thing. Now you have to buy the book. I encourage you to do it. Adam, so great. Everyone's to... going to want it for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Think of... <laughs> You slide that gift across to your lover, babe, babe, you say, I know that this is what you wanted. Uh, Adam, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.